Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Sanity Cast, the little podcast from the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Podcast Network that believes depression is a disease, negativity is a habit, sanity is the opposite of Hannity, and if we're all in this together, then despondency is privilege. I'm John Fugelsang. It's great to be with you in this time when the media still says things like misinformation, disinformation, demonstrable falsehoods, prevarications, whoppers. I find it's easier to just say the word lies. You know, I mean, I love it. Demonstrable falsehoods, prevarications, whoppers, they all sound great, but we don't really need tasteful euphemisms for gaslighting, brainwashing, and rank fuckery. Um, I hope you've been well. I hope your families have been well. It's been a crazy time here. Um, I just moved, and we haven't done a podcast in a little bit. Um, I, I had this great idea. I thought... It would be the ideal time to move um, if it was the middle of winter, early January, while raining during a COVID surge in New York City. Um, I was mistaken, and uh, it was a drag of a move, but I will say I can I can tell you the only good thing about moving is you finally find out where the cat hit all your earbuds last year. Oh, I have been doing these videos for Political Voices Network. I hope you can check them out on YouTube. It's called Caffeinated. Not a ton of live shows, but we're starting back up with a very special show with Frank Conniff of Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Irene Bremis at the Duplex Cabaret in Greenwich Village on the 26th of February. And my God, I hope I'm coming soon to a town near you because I am over this lockdown. Um, I know if only the people who were preaching about herd immunity um, had gotten their shots and then we could have herd immunity. I have been doing the Sirius XM show and I thank you all for your very nice comments and calls. Um, in the last few weeks we've had guests ranging from uh, RZA from Wu-Tang Clan to Stellan Skarsgård, David Crosby, John Kasich, uh, Dr. Keisha Blaine, Tears for Fears. We've had uh, John Cameron Mitchell, Peter Strzok, former FBI agent, Kathleen Turner, Anna DeVere Smith did just at our show, Warren Ellis, Ron Howard was back on, Jennifer Rubin, um, Evangeline Lilly was on our program, Barbara Hershey did the show, Charles Blow, little Stephen Van Zandt, George Will, Ken Burns, Jennifer Rubin, uh, Mary Trump, Jeff Daniels, and Ziggy Marley. And I only say all those names to give you a sense of what we try to do on that show. We try to say Jennifer Rubin's name twice. Um, also, I want to let you know, I, I asked Kirsten Cinema if she'd like to come over and sidekick with me for the podcast. And she told me that she would love to sidekick, that it was very important to her, that she cared deeply about being my sidekick, but she chose not to do so. So um, there you go. I, I, I'm finding it hard to keep track of the outrage. And this podcast began during the Trump years as a way of just reminding people, no, no, it's okay, you're not insane, it's the rest of the world. I, I, we should be talking about how 
2021 was the greatest year of job creation under any president in history. Our economy has grown at a rate not seen since 1984. We should be talking about how the U.S. death toll from COVID-19 has topped 900,000. It's really more than a million, but officially it's 900,000, propelled in large part by the wildly contagious Omicron variant. But, I mean, that's so 2020 to talk about that. We could talk about how we just found out the Earth's 10 richest men doubled their wealth during the pandemic. But I'll never get a job in corporate media if I do stories like that. You know, there's so much to be weary from. Eric Clapton has gone from King of the Delta Blues to King of the Delta Variant. Prince Andrew is no longer allowed to call himself Your Royal Highness, uh, but he can still do that in his Tinder profile. I've seen it. Jerry Falwell Jr. just came out and admitted that he wasn't really a Christian. And I thought, wow, well, then I'm sorry I was wrong. You really do have something in common with your dad. And of course, Joe Biden came out and fulfilled a campaign promise to appoint a black woman as the next Supreme Court justice. And... Wow. <laughs> it's great when the mask comes off, so to speak. Um, Republican friends who were not upset when Ronald Reagan on the campaign trail promised to appoint a woman to the Supreme Court, and they weren't upset in the fall of 2020 when Donald Trump promised to appoint a woman to the Supreme Court, but they're really upset that Joe Biden promised to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court, and I'm wondering, what, what, what's the difference? What am I missing? Well, it's, it, here's what they say. Have you heard this one? They, they don't want to come out and just be racist, but they want to get the racist vote. They want to get the racist riled up. They have nothing to offer the racists on a legislative level except umbrage. And that's the name of the game for the modern party of Lincoln, which is not even the party of Quayle anymore. So, so they'll talk about how, well, it's not right. And, and they'll say, well, it's, it's racial identity politics. I love that. Racial identity politics is the only reason a black woman's going to be our Supreme. Can you believe they're going to put a black woman on this Supreme Court because of racial identity politics? Help me out here. In, in 233 years, there have been 115 Supreme Court justices. Of the 115, 108 have been white men. So, so yeah, let's talk about racial identity politics for just a second. And by the way, 108 have been white men, but it was also Clarence Thomas. So so this is how, you know, they managed to tell us that a lack of representation on the Supreme Court is acceptable to them while also denying they're being racist. I mean, First Nations people don't even have a seat at the table. But in, in fairness, you know, just, I just say this now to my callers. I get it. I get it. It's, it's only fair. I mean, white men have been 94% of all Supreme Court justices. And that is appropriate because 94% of the American population are white men. He, he, look, if Joe Biden promising to replace Stephen Breyer with a, an African-American woman really upsets the Republicans, I'm sure Joe Biden would be willing to appoint two more white justices along with her. Let, let's, hey, he could do that. You know what? We'll keep her surrounded with white guys. Here, here's my black woman and two white men. Appoint them all so they can keep an eye on things. You know, I want to be optimistic, and I've been trying to be. I, I, I'm not an optimist. I am a recovering cynic. But, um, I mean, Washington commanders, that, that's nice. The, 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 the Redskins got to keep their name into the 21st century, and finally they've gotten rid of it. And now the Washington football team will be the Washington commanders. That's inspiring. It, it shows an NFL franchise can go from a racist slur to being named after Joe Biden's dog. I think that's great. But then, then I see how critical race theory is used by racists. Critical race theory 
divides us. That's what they say. And they, they say critical race theory divides us to divide us because critical race theory divides us sounds a lot better than critical race theory freaks out racists who don't want their kids taught about racism. It's the same with the don't say gay bill in Florida right now, which I'm glad Joe Biden spoke up against. What they're saying is um, black kids are old enough to experience racism, sure, but children should not be taught about racism. And gay kids, well, they're always old enough to learn about homophobia, but we shouldn't teach kids not to be mean to gay kids. And, you know, I, I know that what podcasters say about race is the most important thing in a culture, but um, Mitch McConnell can come out there and say that African-American voters, you know, that it's fine we're gutting the Voting Rights Act, and it's fine that we're going to make it harder for uh, for black folks to vote because, in the words of Mitch, African-American voters are voting in just as high a percentage as American voters. Well, that's not what Mitch said. Mitch said, and I have the captions on my TV so I could I could read what he was saying. Um, that's Mitch McConnell who once decided that the only U.S. president in history who shouldn't get an up or down vote on a duly appointed Supreme Court nominee was the only black one. Yeah. The only president who couldn't even get a vote on his Supreme Court nominee just just happens to be the only black one. Um, now, now people will say, you know, well, well, you're not saying that that they're racist, and I'll say, oh, I'm not saying they're racist. I, I think they should have to deny that they were being racist for the rest of their lives. That's all I want. I just want to hear Mitch McConnell deny that it was racist to change the makeup of the Supreme Court to eight for one full year. That it was mere coincidence he did that to the black guy. I want to be positive. I mean, I mean, I, I, but I, you know, I, Axel Rose made it to 60. I, I think, okay, well, that's good. I'm happy about that. Axel Rose made it to 60. Then I realized, well, Axel Rose will probably just use that as an excuse to start more concerts five hours late. But there is good news. The, the pace of new coronavirus cases in the States has fallen by more than two thirds from its peak a couple of weeks ago. But we still have 1.86 million cases a week. And we still have about 2,500 COVID-19 deaths reported every day. Only one in 10 Americans thinks that COVID will be eradicated this time next year. And I understand we are coming to terms with having to live with this. I really want the restrictions to be lifted as well. But we have to remind ourselves, and, and I wish the media would remind us more, that this thing's not hospitalizing or killing most vaccinated people. And that this thing is hospitalizing and killing mostly unvaccinated people. And that this thing is overwhelmingly worse in Trump 2020 counties than Biden 2020 counties. And ain't that a thing? You know, <laughs> the only people trying to protect conservative lives are the liberals and medical establishment that these conservatives have been conditioned to hate. The Republicans, they're, they're there. They are promising. They are promising they will protect you from any politicians who are trying to protect you. And that's what a good party does. If there's any Democrats out there that want to have, you know, public safety measures to try to save American lives, no. We will do nothing to save American lives because we are pro-life patriots. And those are freedom deaths. And, and by the way, Sarah Palin, she, she comes to New York and she has to go uh, to sue the New York Times and then she gets COVID, so they delay the trial. And the day she gets COVID, she's out in a restaurant not wearing a mask and being filmed. And she'll never suffer any blowback for this because her base doesn't care. She was only endangering the health and safety of New Yorkers. So please, if you've come into contact with Sarah Palin, get a COVID test. 
And also, if you've come into contact with Sarah Palin, get an IQ test as well, because we don't know, you know, how contagious she could be. Um, one more bit of of stupidity with COVID-19. This judge who um, stayed the Biden vaccine mandate for dozens of Navy SEALs because the Navy SEALs were seeking a religious exemption. I, I love this story on so many levels. Um, you know, they, they say they, they want a religious exemption from this. And they'll say, well, it's because, uh, you know, the vaccines were developed with lines from old fetal cells, and I'm so against abortion. Well, you, you could come out and say, okay, but Jesus wasn't. The Bible's not against abortion. Uh, not at all. God says life begins with first breath in Genesis. God says that um, a woman's life has more value than a fetus's in Exodus. A fetus is property. A woman is life. That's God's rules, not mine. Jesus was against the death penalty. Never mentioned abortion. You could say all that. Um, but you're looking for logic here when it's Navy SEALs saying that a vaccine might violate their Christian beliefs while they're shooting people. This has nothing to do with spirituality, and it's all politics, and it's all tribalism. And I know it's a big win for the revoltingly fake Christians who want to believe you could be a Christian but still get a religious exemption from giving a goddamn about others. You know, there is no Christian exemption from caring about the health and safety of other people. There's no patriot exemption from caring about the lives of other Americans. There's no pro-life exemption from caring about the lives of others. I get that masks are a drag, but they helped work. They didn't do everything. It's harm reduction. But I still live in a city where we heard the sirens all day and all night. I remember going by the hospitals and seeing the refrigerator trucks outside for the overflow of bodies. This thing is still killing 2,500 Americans a day. It's going to be messy. Going back to normal life is going to be a lot of stop and start, two steps forward, one step back. We don't have to hate each other through all of this. But okay, then you know what? Fine. If, if you want to claim that you get a religious exemption from a vaccine because it was developed with lines from old fetal cells, I, okay, that's what Jesus was all about, I guess. Not the poor, not taking care of the sick, not welcoming the stranger. It was about getting a religious exemption from a vaccine. But if you're going to do this because it was developed with lines from old fetal cells, then you also have to forego everything else developed via lines of old fetal cells, which means you are never morally allowed to take Tylenol or aspirin, or Tums, or Lipitor, or Motrin, or Ibuprofen, Maalox, Exlax, Benadryl, Sudafed, or Preparation H. Yeah. You know what, guys? Maybe, maybe it's easier to just act like a Christian and care about people. Also, uh, I'm not going to go too deep on the Joe Rogan thing. I'll save that for another show. But um, this might shock some people, but Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, uh, guys, they, they, they didn't censor anybody. And Neil Young and Joni Mitchell don't actually have the power to censor anyone. If Spotify dropped Joe Rogan tomorrow and erased all of his shows, he would not be censored. He would still be able to say whatever he wants to say. They wouldn't be obliged to carry it on their platform. This is not a free speech issue. It has always been a free market issue. This is the dance that capitalism and the First Amendment do, and we all get to sit in the front row. Um, you know, Neil and Joni chose to call out bullshit, okay? And that's nothing against Joe Rogan, but, you know, look at his guests. If you, if you really believe that uh, it's a lie to say that all vaccinated people got their shots because they've been hypnotized through mass formation hypnosis, if you think that's bullshit, then you stand with Neil Young. 
And Neil and Joni chose to call out lies and give up that lucrative $9 a month royalty check because sometimes Canadians care about Americans more than damn Americans do. I'm just thinking about all the cool, evolved young people who didn't know much about Neil Young before this week, and they are now discovering his catalog. Okay, uh, now I, I had a lot of other things I wanted to get to, but I want to bring you this conversation with Ellie Mistal because he's a beautiful man, and um, uh, you've probably seen him many times on, um, on, on MSNBC. Maybe you read his stuff in The Nation. You should. He's a great writer. His grasp of the Constitution and the court system is heroic, and he's so entertaining a raconteur. So I was doing an event with him in Florida, and we sat down um, in a relatively empty outdoor area with a rainstorm going off and on. Uh, here is my conversation with the great Ellie Mistal. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You guys know Ellie Mistel, the nation's justice correspondent. He covers the courts, the criminal justice system, covers politics. He's a graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Law School. And, of course, you may have seen him in his many appearances on MSNBC as well as SiriusXM. We're always happy to uh, talk to Mr. Mistel, who has been wowing them here in Florida. Welcome, Florida man. It's uh, yeah. good to see well, you. you know, I went to school in Boston. Not, not in Boston. Near Boston. Mm-hmm. I went to school. Um, and that's really bad. <laughs> I... I Harvard has such a bad rap these days because the actual Harvard lawyers that people know most most often now are people like Ted Cruz and Tom, Tom Cotton. And I feel like I'm constantly going around being like, you know, you didn't – that's not all they taught. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't only teach you how to be a jerk. Like they also taught some real law there. I think Barack Obama, Harvard Law Review, bought some uh, good-natured uh, – uh, Professor positive. Warren helps out. Professor, yeah. Pro- Professor Warren kind of redeems the entire institution to me. But – one of the most fun things about um, watching you speak here in Florida is going to your Twitter account later and watching your comments on the people of Florida that you've met. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, it's for every inspiring person here, uh, it's been fun to see all the Let's Go Brandons. You had a funny exchange about the guy in the men's room just screaming masks off. And- getting getting off the plane, right? So, so this is the first time I've flown since the pandemic. First time I've been around the people since the pandemic. So we fly into West Palm Beach and getting you know off the plane, airport bathroom, and the guy rips off his mask and he says free at last bleep my mask i was like what like how is that possibly it was a black guy thank god because wow. like, so honestly, i should just feel sad he's bastardizing mlk right? and not infuriated and not infuriated yeah, okay. right Good to know but it was just it, the 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 lack of mask awareness in like regular America is is really it's something right. But by the same token, like th- like I said, this is the first time I've really been out since the pandemic, and I've I've seen how ridiculous it is sometimes. Like it's you can't wear a mask while you're eating, mm-hmm. like you just can't do it, right? You can't wear a mask while you're speaking. If you're asking a question, you know you gotta take your mask off. Everybody's gonna hear you. Like so, there are all of these. So it's it's all a roll of the dice, you know. And and it reminds me of like that the most important thing is to take the damn medicine, right? <laughs> Masks are great. If you can use them, that's great. But the most important thing is to take the medicine, get the vaccine, get it, get yourself boosted, vaccinate your kids, and stop being idiots about it because it's the only way we're going to survive this. Yeah, the only way we will survive it. The tragedy is that it's the pro-life people who uh, have such a craven indifference to American lives. I mean, for a while we've been talking about this expression, the the... the pandemic of the unvaccinated 
I point out every night on the air that the hospitals aren't overflowing with vaccinated people. But the, the county results, county by county, show more and more it's really a pandemic of the Trump supporter. It's Look, crazy. If, if, if they could make being vaccinated, if they could make that somehow about controlling women, they would get vaccinated. Yeah. Because the only reason why these people are pro, these people are never pro-life when that life doesn't include controlling women. Exactly. As long as it's part of the woman and they can use it to limit her opportunities, her economic opportunities or whatever, they care a lot. As soon as it's born and you just have a baby that you take care of, then they don't care about the life anymore at all, right? And, that, and that's throughout their entire political philosophy. It's, it's you know, if you, if you really thought that abortion was, was immoral and that it should be illegal, then the thing that you should be doing the most for is prevent, is, is, is contraception, right? Like yeah. You, that, that's, and that sex ed in schools. Right? Um, but in fact, the exact same argument that they use against abortion is the argument that they use against contraception. People have to understand that our legal right to abortion flows out of the legal right to contraception. That Griswold v. Connecticut, is the, which is the case that establishes that women have a right to birth control, um, that's the case that created the penumbra of the privacy rights and the whatever that then was later used to justify Roe v. Wade. So when they're coming after Roe v. Wade, make no mistake, they are coming after Griswold v. Connecticut and they're coming after contraception. That's what's next. I'm a fan of pointing out that neither contraception nor abortion are prohibited by the Bible they claim to follow. But what's even more remarkable for me is how little they've thought it through. I talk with conservative brothers and sisters all the time and, and I always say, okay, you succeed in banning abortion in all 50 states. Congratulations. Roe v. Wade is gone. That's not going to end abortion. It'll end the safe legal kind. So we're really talking about incarcerating women, right? right. And, and none of them have thought that far ahead in the process of what they're actually fighting for. And it's also, rich women will still get abortions. Still. Right? And poor women will get tons right. of new Kermit Gosnell back alley butcher. That's the jobs they're right. creating. The mistresses of Republican politicians will still get abortions. We all like. Yeah. We we all know who's really going to be hurt by this. Look, I I never cede the moral ground to these people, because as much as they want to hump the the their their version of life, I always say that what they're really talking about is not f defending life. They're talking about forced birth. Yeah. There, there is nothing that I can imagine. The word barbarism doesn't begin to describe what it is to force a rape victim to carry a baby to term against her will. That just I don't have a word for what that is. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I say a lot. I can defend abortion under the right to privacy. I can defend it under the Ninth Amendment's um, grants of unenumerated rights. I can defend it under the 14th Amendment's grant of equal protection. But I can also defend it under the 13th Amendment's prohibition yep. against forced labor. There is no argument that the state can make somebody do something, do work against their will for no compensation because it's good for the state. All right, we're not building the goddamn pyramids. We are talking about women's bodies and their labor it's right in the word. And you cannot, as a legitimate government, cannot force a person to do that against her will without compensation. That's just, we already have an amendment that tells us that we can't do that, right? So there's, there's, there's basically no, there's no legal or moral argument that I will cede um, on this issue, and you know, one of the reasons I, I love doing your show and I love listening to your show is that you are one of the men who also make this point. There, are, there are not nearly enough men who are 
who are making these calls and talking about these issues. Women should not be left out here on an island to to have to do this fight by themselves, right? Um, Abortion affects, abortion is not a a woman's issue, it's a human rights issue. It affects all, it, it affects families, which includes husbands and fathers and boyfriends, you know? Um, and it's and 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 men do themselves a disservice if they're not talking about this issue equally. There's also one more more thing I, w- I like to bring up here, and it's it's about the. Uh, it's personal to me, because I'm the broke one in my relationship, right? My <laughs> my wife is the one with the real job, and I'm the artiste, right? She <laughs> pays the mortgage, and I make the jokes. <laughs> There's an economic issue here too. Right, and one of the one of the reasons where, where we've seen a closing in the wage gap and the opportunity gap between men and women over the past fifty years is because of Roe v. Wade, is because yep, of exactly. family planning. Right, so if you're a guy and you're you you're a fan of women making money, which you should be, because if women make equal money, that means le- less likely that you are going to have to have a real job. <laughs> You should also be for. You also must be before women's rights, reproductive rights, and the whole and the whole line. And you should feel. You should speak out about it. But now, what's going to happen? Because I thought it was really telling, Ellie, that Glenn Youngkin barely talked about the unborn at all in his Senate campaign. I see a lot of real anxiety among our right-wing fascist friends over the fact that they might finally win this forty-five-year struggle and realizing that two-thirds of the country more than two-thirds of the country, is solidly against them. I think John Roberts and others are panicking right now, knowing that if they overturn Roe v. Wade, you're going to see the greatest turnout for a midterm election in 2022 that this nation's ever experienced. I mean, they've gone against the will of the people to please their cult, and it seems like they've taken it almost as far as they can go. Which is why they won't overturn it. They won't say they're overturning it. They, 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 they'll chip away. They'll, they've figured out this two-step, right? So... What does Roe v. Wade stand for? What, what, like legally, what does it stand for? It stands for the idea that prior to viability, which scientifically is 22 to 24 weeks, prior to viability, the state cannot unduly restrict a woman's right to choose. That undue burden language comes from a later case in the 90s called Planned Parenthood v. Casey. But what Roe and Casey together both stand for is the simple idea that you can't restrict abortion rights, unduly strict, restrict abortion rights, prior to 22 to 24 weeks. That's all it stands for. Yeah. So when they put a law saying that you can restrict abortion rights at 15 weeks or at eight weeks or at six weeks or whatever the hell it is, that will functionally overturn Roe v. Wade. But they don't have to say that. Correct. They can just say, we're setting the new line at 15 weeks, we're letting it up to the states, and they'll say it, and uh, what they'll do is that they'll write all that language, and then they'll say, we hereby preserve the central holding of Roe v. Wade and then just change what the central exactly. holding was. Well, does that mean Mississippi becomes all the Confederate states? They'll all do this eight-week cutoff time, and they'll just kind of gradually, incrementally. Even at argument, Gorsuch noted that if they uphold Mississippi's 15-week ban, the next thing they'll get is a 12-week ban. Yeah. And the next, th- and then another state will say, "Well, what about 10 weeks?" And then it'll never stop. Now, of course, Gorsuch doesn't care. He just he wants just to ban it entirely. He doesn't yeah. care. But he noted that that's exactly what would happen. Here's the thing, John, that a lot of people don't know about this particular case in Mississippi. It's a 15-week abortion ban. Why? Why is it, why, why is it 15 weeks? The one abortion clinic in Mississippi, Jackson's mm-hmm. Women's Health Organization, they don't perform abortions after 16 weeks. 
You're supposed to be able to go to Bible. Jackson's Women's Health stops at 16 weeks. They picked 15 weeks to start a fight. Yeah. There's, there's nothing. That's all it is. It's SCOTUS Idol, and you're going to D.C., dog. It's just it's just to start a freaking fight. Every right? state's it's, trying it. 15 weeks has nothing. It's not. It's a number they picked out of a hat, not for any scientific reason, not for any medical reason. It's just because yep. the abortion clinic goes to 16 weeks, so we can only stop them if we cut it off at 15 weeks. That's it. Yeah. Before many women even know they're pregnant. What, what terrifies me, though, is, and we've talked about this, the Democratic Party has won seven of the last eight presidential elections, which is to say the vote of the people. The popular vote's gone to the Democrats seven of the last eight times, and yet Republican presidents have chosen 15 of 19 of the last Supreme Court justices. It just seems like no matter what, can democracy ever be enough when the game is so rigged? I mean, tis a pickle, right? I mean, look, the Republicans have gotten lucky with death. Um, and smart with retirements. That's one of the. That's one of the reasons. So I like to tell the story. So Thurgood Marshall was real sick. Yeah, he was. He was real sick. Yeah, and he got to the point where he felt like he could no longer credibly do the job. He couldn't do the job at the intellectual level that he was accustomed to. And so, despite him not wanting to give a seat to George W. Bush, that seat became Clarence Thomas. Despite him obviously not wanting to retire under a Republican, Thurgood Marshall's commitment to the institution was higher than his commitment to the party. I remember his announcement. I'm old. Right? I'm old, he said. He didn't die. So he retired in, nine, in 88. He didn't die until two weeks after Bill Clinton was nominated, was inaugurated. Yeah. If he had just hung on, mm-hmm. if he had just been the partisan hack for another couple of years, he would have died two weeks and we never, nobody would even know who Clarence Thomas was. It's true. Although, I, in fairness, that it seemed like we were going to have Republicans forever in 1989. I mean, after Dukakis lost, right. it just seemed like it was never going to end. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she wanted to be replaced by the first woman president. He I understood know. what she was thinking, but you know, obviously, the entire world is different if she makes a different choice in in 2012 um, when she had the chance. Obviously, the Merrick Garland situation was just a. They stole a seat. Obama yeah. didn't do enough to stop them. Breyer's playing with fire right now, right? Yeah. Republicans, on the other hand, have died at the right time. Uh, you know, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor retires under George W. Bush um, to take care of her sick husband. Yeah. Um, it just so happens that Rehnquist dies two weeks later and Bush gets two appointments. That's right. So, you know, the, the question, I think, is should our law, should our constitutional interpretation be dictated by the random wheel of death but it's not it's i mean look at mcconnell mcconnell decided to change the break the makeup from nine to eight for a whole year he changed the number first Mm -hmm. Uh, and again i I view it as that all three of donald trump's uh, appointees are all invalid one's a stolen seat one perjured himself in his confirmation hearings and coney barrett 50 million americans had already voted right by the time she got appointed. You shouldn't get as many Supreme Court justices as you have wives, right? Like, that's... That, right? That's the first, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously. And that's why that's why I'm so uh, a fan of court expansion, court packing. I really don't care what you call it. Um, because it lessens the power of any individual justice, right? Yeah. So if you, if you have more justices, the random wheel of death, one of them dying here, one of them retiring there, doesn't massively change the law one way or the other over the normal course of whatever people are going to die retire and whatever and if you ha- if you're playing with 29 people as opposed to 9 you're the law is just fundamentally more stable so let me ask what is it that keeps you up at night the most 
the most important act of Congress ever was the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Yeah. Right? It's... It's the thing they didn't get done after the Civil War. Because the Civil War, we passed the 15th Amendment, and the South immediately was like, screw that. Yeah. We're going to ignore that. And they did it for 100 years. They ignored it. Yep. The, 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 the first piece of legislation that made the 15th Amendment real was the Voting Rights Act. And John Roberts took it away in 2013, and basically nobody noticed. Oh, yeah. In Shelby County, if you, hold, you know, the, the underreported reason for why Trump won, it's not because of... Of, um, it's not because he got the diner set in the Midwest. And did it. It's because they took away the Voting Rights Act. Yeah. And there was voter suppression in that election. And, and they, Trump was able to pick up you know, 50,000, you know, 70,000 votes across three states. I, I, I always point out that they gutted the Voting Rights Act the same week that they greenlit Sharknado 2. And I don't, <laughs> I don't think those events are unrelated. I remember that summer very well. I think those events are totally related to the American intellect. There was the preclearance rules on all the Confederate states which said you have to pass these rules to make sure you're not discriminating. It seems like the logical thing would be to say, let's be fair and make all 50 states have these preclearance rules. But John Roberts, who really cares about his place in history more than anything else, he was the first one to come out and say, well, there's no racism anymore. We have a black president. And that's why they gutted it. And as soon as they did, the Confederate states began trying to make it as hard as possible for some Americans to exercise their right. John Roberts basically declared victory over racism. He hung a mission accomplished banner on (laughs) racism. Um, he was wrong, and he helped perpetuate it. And so that's that's when you say what keeps me up at night. Like you can't you can't have a country without voting rights, right? Like, look, there's there are three kinds of rights. There are three kinds of rights. Philosophically speaking, there are civil rights, there are political rights, and there are social rights. Political rights are your right to participate in the system. Civil rights are your rights to kind of participate in the economy, to contract and whatever. And social rights are your right to like like throw a party or have a wedding and get a cake. Like those are social rights, right? Properly understood. We can survive people taking away social rights. It sucks but we can overcome people taking away social rights. We can survive, it sucks, it's hard, but we can, we can fight about civil rights, the rights to participate in our economy. We can have robust debate and discussion about that. We cannot survive people taking away political rights. Right. Because if you can't participate in the system at all, then you have no avenue to change that system. And so that that's again when you, when you ask me what, I, what what keeps me up like it's it's the voting rights. Do folks on the left make a mistake by saying that this is all about keeping the black vote down when in reality like photo ID laws are also designed to make it harder for young folks to vote, recent citizens to vote, college kids, Indigenous there's people. districts where you can vote with an NRA ID but not a college ID right. and lots and lots of seniors too. It's about keeping it's about keeping more than you're right that it's about keeping more than black people. It's, it's more than just the new Jim Crow. It's more than just keeping black people away from the vote. But it's still predominantly about yeah. that, right? It's still, because the, because black people are the base of the Democratic Party. Yeah. And Republicans have no argument for them. Like, I always say this. Like, I started making a joke about where I went to school. I am a college, postgraduate, educated, male, heterosexual male with a wife, two kids, and a mortgage. And you're telling me that the party of Reagan can't even make an argument to me? <laughs> they, they, they all got nothing for me? <laughs> the party of Reagan can't make one, like, little, oh, you know. They, they want you to have an AR-15, Ellie. Right? I mean, you know. A 40-year-old man, you can't give me one concert, right? But because they've completely stopped, they completely ceded trying to win an argument, they're just now trying to rig an election. That's it. 
they have no actual platform. And we were we were talking at this at this event. Um, they they're they're not running on a platform anymore. No. Literally. They have no policies. No, it's what Trump wants. That was literally the 2020 party platform. It, it's it's ridiculous that they so that's why voter suppression is key to them because they have you know if you tell I, I, I talk about this in my book my upcoming book allow me to retort coming out January 11th <laughs> um, um, I had a conversation with uh, Rick Lazio Rick Lazio is a uh, yes. former New York State uh, legislator he ran for the Senate against right. Hillary Clinton um, lost he's not a bad guy I mean he's as Republicans go he's really not a really not a bad guy. And we were talking about some gerrymandering issues, and I had noted, because my father was a local politician, a contemporary of Lazio, I had noted how back in the 80s, they made his district much more heavily Latino than it had been before. They, they gerrymandered a lot more Latinos into his congressional district. Um, and Lazio was like, yeah, I, was, that was, that was, I thought that was a, that was, I wanted that to happen. I was like, really? Because, you know, most, he was like, well, that's current Republicans. I was like, of course I can win Latino voters. They're a hardworking immigrant community. And he just did the whole Republican thing, right? Of course a Republican can win over a majority Latino district. Why not? We yeah. should, we have to. And so, uh, <laughs> and, and so, I'm sorry. Um, and so it was just like, that's how Republicans used to think. Yeah. At least make an argument. Maybe never for black people, but for other immigrant populations, for indigenous populations. At least make them an argument, and you won't get your you won't get curb stomped by them. Yeah, they've, I mean, they've and they've tried in the past, but I always ask my Republican friends, what have they done for non-millionaires since Nixon and the Earned Income Tax Credit? Right. Since EITC, what have they done that where millionaires didn't benefit, just non-millionaires? So that leads to my final question. I know it keeps you up at night. What gets you up at the morning? What is filling you with hope these days? <laughs> <laughs> Besides the fine people of Florida. Yeah, I mean that's a that's that's a much harder question. Um, I'm sorry. There, there there's an aspect where Sherilyn you know, Eiffel said something to me on Twitter that, that kind of reminded remind me of this. Um, it's been worse in the past, you know. If you if you looked at the prospect for civil rights from the perspective of like a slave in 1845, things looked bad. They got better, right? And the slave got up every morning and tried and agitated, right? The civil rights activists in 1950 got up every morning and tried and fought, right? And so like I can't look at that momentous history. I can't look at what people in my situation and frankly much 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 worse than my situation what they got up and agitated for every day i mean You're think right. about what the world looks like to frederick douglas in 1841 why why would he why why did he get up in the morning and if he could get up in the morning you know and fight literal white supremacy you know right. literal uh, people who were trying to assassinate if he could get up every morning and do that and I can get up every morning and go to Twitter. I mean, like, <laughs> I can handle Glenn Greenwald. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> so that's what gets me up. Ellie Mistal, I can't wait for the new book. Thank you so much. And uh, Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. Peace. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are 
and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. That was really fun with Ellie Mastal. Uh, I've got a couple of other great interviews coming up, and I hope you'll keep on checking out our next few episodes. I'm going to be bringing you some conversations with people ranging from uh, Nick Offerman to uh, the great John Nichols of uh, The Nation. Um, and, and, and first, I want to say I'm sorry I haven't done one of these in a while. It's been a bit crazy. And um, I just want to mention some of the folks that we've lost recently. Uh, I don't know what was up with people dying. In the month of January, 2022, I mean, I mean, Sidney Poitier, you know, I could talk for days. The best thing you can do for your soul is to get a copy of his book, The Measure of the Man, The Measure of a Man, which he read, the book on tape version, and listen to it on headphones and just go for walks anywhere. I promise you will thank me. The Measure of a Man by Sidney Poitier. Um, and, and January was brutal. So many great people were taken from us. It felt like all of 2016 crammed into one month. But um, I, I just want to say how much I love Bob Saget in the present tense, and I always will. Um, the first time I met Bob was right after I was hired to do America's Funniest Home Videos when he was leaving, and we were both up together at the comic strip. And I invited him on stage with me during my set, and he came up, and the two of us did 20 minutes of stand-up together. It was our first meeting, and we improv together for 20 minutes on stage in a packed house, and he was a prince. And at one point, when we were doing it, um, someone asked them if they could take a picture of us uh, with their flash camera. And so we leaned in to do it, and they were counting one, two, and I, I whispered to Saget, and I said, Bob, when, when he does it, let's, let's, let's give him the finger on three, because they like that at the bachelorette parties. I was very young. And Bob said, no, man, you can't do that. If we do that, it'll be in page six tomorrow. And he was right. So it, I just want to say the first advice Bob ever gave me was uh, uh, tips about discretion. But... Um, I loved him. He was always a friend to me. He was always kind to me. He did my radio show. When he opened on Broadway and Hand of God, he, he invited me to come. And, uh, and um, if you know Bob, you, you know how special his work is. And his brilliance is there for people to enjoy. And the best thing I can say is that, you know, Saget got a bad rap early on for Full House and Funny Home Videos. He was perceived as being a, a bit of a milk toast. And... Um, it's really been gratifying in the last couple of years to watch Bob Saget be himself and be brilliantly filthy and an incredible craftsman of jokes while doing it and see him gain a whole new generation of audiences. The greatest thing I've ever witnessed has been Bob Saget putting the hipsters to shame by being hipper than the hipsters. I also want to give some love to Ronnie Spector. She did my Sirius XM show many times and uh, is just a giant in recording. Um, I always wanted her to do a, 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 a whole album of Amy Winehouse covers, um, but she does Back to Black, and it's wonderful, and you should listen to it, her, her version of it. I got to see her live a couple years ago at City Winery, and she put on such a great show, and uh, and she was always very, very kind to me. Um, I did a TV show that she liked a lot, and uh, she's just a legend. Um, and finally, Louie Anderson, who I still can't believe is no longer with us. Uh, Louie just had a a heart that was as big as his talent and um you know i did his show he did my show um i did his podcast in a hotel lobby in nebraska once but here's what i'll say louis anderson was one of the first people to ever pronounce my last name correctly on network tv um 
and I loved him. Please read his books. So we'll have more of these coming up, I promise, uh, and I look forward to bringing you a lot more. We've got some great guests already lined up. Keep on listening to all the great shows on the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Podcast Network, and I'm on SiriusXM Progress five nights a week at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on channel 127, the Progress Channel. You can always write me um, at uh, johnfuglesang.com or um, through Facebook or Twitter, and we follow back. Thank you so, so much. Let's go out with an Andy Warhol quote. When people are ready to change, they change. They never do it before then, and sometimes they die before they get around to it. You can't make them change if they don't want to. Just like when they do want to, you can't stop them. Thank you, Andy. See you next time on Sanity Cast. Thank you to Chris LeVoy. 